John, John Love, thanks for being on the show. I'm glad to have you here, and we're going to kick things off. Are you a truck guy or a sedan-type dude? All right, let's have some fun, boys. John, you ready? Absolutely, let's go. All right, Ty, you ready? You bet, yeah. Blow that whistle. Timeout. Tyler, who are we taking a timeout with today? Well, thank you, Kevin. Well, I'm sorry if I smell like horsepower today, ladies and gentlemen, because we have John Love, the president and owner of Bob Johnson Chevrolet. Uh, John John Love, thanks for being on the show. I'm glad to have you here, and we're going to kick things off. Are you a truck guy or a sedan-type dude? Thanks for having me. I'm definitely a truck guy all the way. And listen, Tyler, you being in Texas, I wouldn't say I was a sedan guy anyway. I don't want to insult you. Right? A Texas Cadillac is a big truck. So. Exactly. I think I think sedans were just outlawed down there. Right? That's right. Exactly. Those are high kids, of course. Although Tesla's building something down there. I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't either. I think just the rocket ships, right? Just the rocket ships. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we're starting in, starting in hot. I got to ask this question. So we're in this truck, right? Maybe it's lifted. Maybe it's got the lift kit. Maybe we, maybe we stretched our budget a little bit, Tyler. You know, we, we stretched our budget down into the nice car, the bigger truck, you know, the extended cab. And we're driving to John's favorite restaurant in Rochester. What would that be, John? That's actually not a hard question to answer. Bonnie Vino on the Avenue. Wow. On the river's not bad either, but the Avenue is my new favorite place. Yeah. I agree. I was yeah, just there with Italian. my parents a few weeks ago. Great yes. spot. Yeah, great spot for sure. Vino, love it. And John, if, if we're going to uh, have a little scramble today at Oak Hill, it's me, you, and Kevin on a team. What? Who are we playing? If you could pick three other opponents to play up 18 with, who is it? Anyone in the world, dead or alive? Listen, if we get I get to hold the, the starter, golf club, though. right? I get yeah. to hold the golf club. So I don't golf. So this is an easy one. I'd have Putin and his head would be on the on the team. So let's just <laughs> go right there, okay? Seriously. That's <laughs> only if they let us pass the starter, John. Exactly. Let's be honest. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but I'll, I'll drive the cart and chase the beer cart around. That. <laughs> That's, That's an essential. That's an essential. Yeah. So uh, you, what do you do for fun? I, 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 I have to ask. Uh, obviously we're talking about mental health today. We're talking about work-life balance blends. What does John love do for fun outside of when he's selling, selling cars and and helping his people? Yeah. So, um, you know, my hobby, my passion is my career. It's the car business. And so when I'm not at work, I'm doing exciting things like driving through empty car lots, trying to figure out what other guys are doing instead of me. Uh, It's all about that. I'm blessed to just get a new, I have a new grandson. He's nine months old today. He got to come in and visit grandpa this morning for a while. So that takes my time, but truly everything about my car, about the industry, uh, that's kind of what I'm about and trying to make a better, a better place for my employees. You know, we're not one of those places that when kids come out of high school, they go home and they tell mom and dad, hey, I'm going to be an attorney. Mom and dad blasted on Facebook, do skywriting, everything. Then they're going to go make $50,000 a year as an entry-level attorney for a while. If Johnny or they're going to be a car salesman, they're like, what did we do wrong? How do we change this? And yet we have, we offer a, a great life for our employees and the industry is phenomenal. It's been phenomenal for me. So my spare time is really about how to make my work time better for our people. Truly. Wow. Wow. That's powerful. And, and you're right. I think salesmen, right? Yep. Salesman, car salesman, trash picker upper, right? I yep. think. I think yeah. all of those types of things, like you said, just have a negative connotation, but they have 
they're unaware of the opportunities that, that, that are available. And, and I love how you put your, your employees first there, but also drive around to see what other people are doing so you can sharpen your blade a little bit more too. I like that. Exactly. So I want to jump right into it. You, you mentioned your nine-month-old grandson. Family is everything, right? And, yep. and, and you had shared, uh, John has a book coming out, everybody. John will share the title. Um, but in this book, you talk about your past and your history. And now here you are as a grandfather. What do you want your grandson or granddaughter to know about you? I guess my hope and my wish would be that, that they knew that I survived my success. Uh, far too often, people that are fortunate like me to be where I am in life now, forget how fortunate they were to have traveled the path they traveled to get where they are. Wow. And that's something that I have three children and I constantly try to remind them that the life they live isn't reality for most people and that we have to be servant leaders and survive our success. And you know, other than, of course, grandpa loved you and was proud of you and all of those things when it comes to business, it's survive the success and remain humble. It's critically important. Wow. No kidding, dude. That, that, Sorry, that's guys. it. Oh, that's man, it. That's... <laughs> I'm, I'm speechless after that. Dude, that's a legacy right there in one, John. And it's good to, to hear someone like yourself, you know, passing that on to the younger folks out there, um, especially with these young kids these days, man. They're smart, man. They have, they're accessible to a lot of technology and, and what's, yeah. you know, going on in the world. And it's, uh, you know, that, that, that fame and that, that, that um, what do you want to call it? That artificial happiness is everywhere, yeah. you know? And, and what I heard is you kept that very simple, you yeah. know, servant, servant leaders and uh, how you survived your success, you know, I, I find myself just chasing it all the time. And I tell myself, well, next week I'll take it, take it easy. <laughs> and I know, right. man, right. <laughs> I just press on the gas even more, man. Yeah. Um, but can you kind of tell us how, how you became an owner and a president of, of a, of a, a car, uh, you know, of, of Bob Johnson Chevrolet? Like, can you, but can you start with the, the vision of it? When did you know that you were going to be an owner? Sure. It, uh, well, for me, I knew exactly what I was going to do when I was a kid. Like wow. I knew what I was going to be when I grew up. I was positive. There was no doubt in my mind. I was going to be a police officer. And then I started in the car business. <laughs> you know, some might say I went from arresting bad guys to being a bad guy. I don't know. It's that whole you know, car salesman thing. But um, yeah, I, I got in this business uh, as a lot person, which is otherwise known as the indentured servant to the cars and washing cars. And I worked my way up. I was really... Um, fortunate enough to work for a couple of owners that were just amazing men. And one of these people, his name's Roger Burdick, owns a bunch of car dealerships in Syracuse, New York. I got a job with him detailing cars in a new dealership he was opening. And he said, well, John, it's good to meet you and welcome to the team. And what do you want to be like as your career? What do you see your career being? And I said, oh, it's easy, Mr. Burdick. I'm going to be a cop. And he went, okay. I was 17 years old. He said, okay, well, that's great. Very honorable. But while you're here, do me a favor, keep your mind open and your ears open, and maybe you'll learn that this industry can be a good fallback for you. Wow. Now, at the time, police officers were making like $28,000 a year. So <laughs> the fallback didn't have to fall too far, right? But um, I did keep my mind open, and he gave me opportunity and recognized me, this kid with a GED education and um, you know, not a lot of good, good foundation. And put me on a path into management, sales and management. Really, I knew someday at that point that I would be an owner. I didn't know what I was going to own, one car lot or 
three dealerships, but I knew I would be an owner. And uh, that was really, that was it. I don't know if that answers it or not, but that's. Oh, wow. dude, that's, that's, that's happy, you know. Yeah. And the fortunate that you knew what you wanted to do at such a young age, I think a, a lot of us are still trying to find that out. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, I wanted to ask you how, you know, you always hear about the grind of a car salesman, or at least I have from yeah. my peers. Yeah. How do you how do you balance that for him, or how do you give him perspective? Um, and, and and what is the grind actually? I've always wondered, man. Is it just working Saturdays, or you yeah. know, what 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 is the deal there? So there's a lot of houses out there. We call them houses. The dealerships out there that still work their guys 50 hours a week, every other Sunday, late nights, whatever the case may be. Pre-COVID, we had our salespeople on a 45-hour schedule. They got one Saturday off a month and didn't work Sundays. COVID hit. We dialed that back to. Um, 40 hours a week, working from home, flexible schedule. So we've eliminated the grind. And one of the things that I tell my senior leadership all the time is that our goal is to remove the friction. Whatever the friction is, friction could be a schedule, friction could be difficulty with getting the kids to school and then getting the work on time. If we can remove the friction in the employee's life, they're going to be more successful. So that gives us an advantage over the other houses that are, you know, truly grinding these people up and spitting them out. Cool. Wow. But you have to have that, you have to stay grounded at the same time. Like you talked about John to survive your success and not think like, Oh, it's me. Why I'm solely successful. And I know sure. um, you just saying to, to remove those barriers almost, right. Those, those frictions, those friction points, I call those like life stressors, you know, these things that stress us out, we're focusing more of our time and energy on these things rather than the work itself and what we potentially should be doing, let's say. Um, but you have to have that awareness. And, and I think your history and your backdrop is really important to, to discuss and talk about today because not only is the book phenomenal, but I believe it helped create the person that you are today. So one of Tyler and I's favorite questions to ask leaders sometimes is do you feel like nature uh, leaders are born? Is it nature or is it nurture? Well, or I asked that question in my book as well, because my nurturing was definitely not something that would lead to anything good. Um, I believe that we all have the ability to lead within us. It's just that different level. And I think that the key to leadership is listening to your people and listening to the messages that are coming to you and starting with the guy that's right out front, take your most entry-level employee. If you wanna know what's going on in a restaurant, ask the dishwasher. If I wanna know what's going on in my dealerships, I go to the porters and the valets and ask them how things are going. Wow. And then I just kind of wanna plug my ears after about five minutes, but you know, it's how it works. And, and I think as leaders, sometimes we get this sense of entitlement where the CEO, the, the top guy gets the reserved parking spot in front of the building to park the big fancy car. And I, I drive a, an average truck right now. And a lot of times if I'm driving something nice, it's hidden out back. Um, you know, I don't want to be in that front spot, if you will. Wow. And you can just tell that and that comes naturally to you. I think, I think, and that's where like nature versus nurture. Yes. Nurture, like some of the, your history is, it would be perceived as a very negative terrible upbringing right like right. and but had you not gone through those experiences would you be the same leader that you are today with that awareness and with that understanding of what somebody else could possibly be going through in their day and i think you touch on this in your book which i love because you say if you ask the neighbor 
100 people, do you care about your neighbor? 99 out of the 100 would come back and say yes. Yes. But oh, yes. why do we have such stark differences? Why in Rochester do we have this wealth discrepancy, the largest within the country? Why do we have these low educational rates, but yet business owners and leaders and businesses specifically feel little to no ownership for that? Yeah. And that's it's multifaceted because I, I think we would all say, yes, of course, we care about our neighbors. But if you follow it up with, well, what do you do to show that you care about your neighbor? That's when you get that awkward silence, right? Uh, that's yeah. that awkward silence. Like when you ask your boss for a raise and he doesn't answer you, it's that awkward silence. <laughs> um, and that's the moment that we have to take pause with and say, as like myself as a business owner, what am I doing to not just change the world outside my walls and not just inside my walls, but mm -hmm. they both collide because our employees can't leave the stresses of life at the front door. And I've, I've actually heard managers say, leave your problems at home. Yeah. Really? Like, really? I'm here because I have problems at home. I need to earn a living. <laughs> so, um, you know, we have to be better as business leaders. Um, and like I said, if we really wanted to, you know, think to ourselves, do we engage with our entry level people? Do we, do we, do we engage with the people on the front lines? Because if they're screwing up or they're not happy, nobody else survives. Um, so. And you're open to that feedback and you want it. Yes, after Always. five minutes, we want to shut our ears, but at least you're getting and opening up those lines of communication because Tyler and I refer to this often as like the playing the game of telephone. Sometimes they, we sit so high up in this ivory tower behind our titles that we have no idea how the rest of the other uh, demographics within our business are living day to day. So then you know what to focus on and how to develop a benefit strategy and a people strategy. You know, it's not only compensation and compensation alone. And I would bear, dare to say that today, Bob Johnson will continue to have the success in the auto industry because you're in tune with that work-life balance and blend here in the post-pandemic. So you took an opportunity, which I'm sure was tough for the dealerships. People weren't really buying cars there for a while. And you turned it into better, bettering the opportunity internally for your individual people and, and building your awareness around what they could possibly be going through. So I love that, John. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. We, um, I'll give you just a simple example of the culture of my leadership. We've been talking about gas prices. It's all over the news. And when gas hit $4 a gallon, which right now I'd be happy to go back to $4 a gallon, but when gas hit $4 a gallon, one of uh, my senior leaders brought up the fact, the impact that that's having on our entry-level people that are commuting to work. The average commute in Rochester is about 20 miles each way. And he actually did some math on what it's costing our people. And our base pay here for truly an entry-level job is $15 an hour, and it's gonna be moving up from there. We don't hire at minimum wage, that is our minimum. And at that level, that change in gas from 250 to 350 to four and beyond is significant, right? So rather than give the employees a $50 gift card to go put some gas in their car, the leadership decided that for the month of April, we were gonna do top off Tuesdays in which every employee in our company, 1,436 of them had their fuel tanks topped off at the dealerships. However, the difference between being a good business owner, if you will, and being a leader is the leadership agreed that they would be the ones pumping the gas for the employees. Wow, that's awesome. Right, that's that little difference. That's the differentiator. Not only are we gonna give you gas, which cost us about a quarter million dollars, but the management, the guys that drive the nice cars, 
are going to stand there in the rain. And I was hoping for rain and I wanted to <laughs> rain. <laughs> it did rain. It was nice to see. I didn't stand in the rain that day, full disclosure. But uh, yeah, they pumped the gas for the employees. And I think honestly that the pumping of the gas meant more to the employees than the gas itself. I, I so. would say yes. I would say that it had to have. And, and just seeing that, it just builds understanding that there's e equality and equity, you know, and there's a, there is no, yes, we have different titles and yes, we have different roles and objectives within these roles. But John, everything that I'm hearing you say is really just action, action, action. You know, it's, it's, it's one, one thing to do it. It's another thing to communicate it effectively and, and drive the action because a lot of people are saying a lot of things right now out of desperation um, and they refuse to change internally. And here you are adapting and evolving it seems like daily at Bob Johnson to get to the 23 dealerships that you mentioned earlier. Tyler, what questions do you have? I just love how natural it comes to you. John. I know, you know, you're, you're, not, you're like, Hey, guess what I found out guys. If we do this, this happens, you know, it, it's uh, it's kind of a no brainer, right? Um, if, if you've been on the other side of the fence, you know, with that, that, that uh, 1991 grind is what I call it. You know, you're yeah. growing up in the nineties. If you weren't grinding or sweating or, or feeling like you're giving a half your life away, you're not earning your paycheck. And uh, right. I think we're, we're, we're kind of seeing that, you know, life's pretty short. Um, and, and I keep hearing like you have fun and you're creative. It sounds like John with, and that's got to keep it fresh for everybody, including yourself to keep you driving forward. I mean, driving to other people's parking lots or, or houses to, to see what they're doing, man. I love <laughs> that, dude. I used to go scout with my dad. He was a high school football coach in Texas with the binoculars sure. looking at other teams' practices, you know? Like, you know, get out, get out. And I'd be like, dude, what are we doing, you know? Like, this is, this is all, I mean, it was fun, you know? Um, I was going to, uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, who are some of your role models, um, you know, either growing up or recently or that, you, that you've learned from? Yeah, sure. So uh, growing up, you know, huge shout out. There was a police officer when I was a kid. The police coming to our apartment uh, was a regular, a weekly occurrence. Uh, back in the 70s, there were no domestic violence laws to speak of. So mom would get tuned up by dad. And if she didn't want to press charges, the police would come write a report and read. And it was this police officer, Pete Schneider's his name. I mentioned him in my book. Um, he used to, we'd sit in the back of his car, my little brother and I, and he would always tell us this thing that didn't really make sense as a kid. But as I got older, it clicked and I use it today. And it was just because you live like this doesn't have to mean that you put that you live or excuse me just because you live like this doesn't mean that you have to be like them mm. and you know that was strong now as a six-year-old a 10-year-old you didn't really get it uh, other than okay we shouldn't live in a roach infested filthy apartment but when you get older you realize that you don't have to become a victim of the culture or your surroundings you can find a way out of it and so that was the basis of a role model and then beyond that, I was lucky enough to have people come into my life just at the right time. There was one teacher, there was a business owner, people that came in at just the right time that didn't tell me I was wrong or tell me what to do, but just offered perspective. And I think as role models, perspective is way more powerful than lecturing. Mm. And uh, so, I don't know, that's about the best answer I can give you, but I was fortunate to have a number of those people. That perspective is, is interesting because I think um, if you're open to having multiple opinions and multiple people in the room present to make or drive these business decisions or life decisions, you gain multiple perspectives so you can make the most informed decision or the best decision theoretically. 
Uh, you, right, I think you use the word victim. I think that is a very common place, and I'm not speaking about my generation, but people in general, um, it's easier to blame others for the problems in our lives than looking at ourselves first. Can you talk about, John, because you wrote really a book about your history and about your life, and you talk early on in the book that you had to push yourself to release this book because you know the impact that it could potentially have on people that are named in this book or not named. How did you push through? Because I think it has something to do with what you learned about yourself in your journey. Victim, there's a difference between being a victim and victimhood. Um, I was a victim of my mother's poor choices as a child. I was a victim of that. But I wasn't a victim of the rest of my life. And I wasn't going to let that stifle who I grew up My book doesn't talk about you can be great and amazing and just wake up every day and listen to a good song and life will be good. Um, it, I think you have to first identify what do you have control over and what do you not have control over? Hmm. The things you have control over, control them. Just control them. And what you can't control, pray heavy. Pray heavy, pray hard, and hope for the best. Uh, now that sounds selfish in the beginning, but think about when you fly, the flight attendant says, in the event of the oxygen mask deploying, put your mask on before helping children or others in need. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of others. If you're not there, you can't take care of somebody else. So you have to make sure that you, you're not a victim of victimhood, that woe is me, I can't do anything. You can do anything that you set your mind to. The path may be harder, but it can be done. And just not let it beat you as hard as that is. And it's hard, but yeah. not let circumstances beat you. Love that. Dude, absolutely, man. I'm on board, John Love. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we had one of uh, John Wooden's players on a while back. And he, he mentioned, you know, Larry Bird and would always talk about how you can make these big leaps at the beginning of being good at something, you know, by 50%, by another 50%, you just add nothing. Eventually you start seeing this dwindle to I'm getting about a half percent better every day. It sounds like you, you have that, that tenacity and, you know, what, where do you get it from? What, what gets you out of bed to, to keep, you know, because it, 23 houses on the, on, on, you know, around town, man, that, that ain't a bad life. You know, what, what keeps you going uh, to, to drive that half percent every day? True, honest opinion or answer, I should say, is the fact that I'm a job creator. Yes, I have 23 dealerships. That's great. But guess what? I could live, still live my best life with one dealership. <laughs> I don't need 23. But at 23, I have over 1,400 employees which I never lose sight of the fact what gets me out of bed is I have 1400 mortgage payments, 1400 car payments, college tuitions, foods on the table, et cetera. And so at some point you become a job creator and while your net worth may change, your worth in society doesn't really change. And so it has nothing to do with the money you have or don't have. And yes, if I had a billion or a trillion, it would feel different, but my life would still be my life. And I don't have either, by the way, so, <laughs> to be clear. But, but if I can change other people's lives by giving them a good place to work and having it be a career, not just a stop on their travel itinerary, that's what gets me up. That's what drives me. And those are those little changes that 1% better every day is not me. 
it's the young salesperson or the young technician that got a little bit better. Because for me, he got a little better, put a little more in the bottom line, but for him, he got a lot better. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes down to. And again, back to that perspective. I mean, that's your perspective. Most people, this is where I talk about people over profits, right? Or profits over people is most priorities, right? Of most businesses. And and here you are making a quarter of a million dollar investment and filling the gas tanks of your employees because you know they were falling on hard economic times and you're trying to provide a level or a quality level of living. Um, and, and this is kind of where we are today, right? I think organizations... Uh, are starting to realize that holistic well-being has a lot more to do and a lot more to play in the overall success of the business, right? When our workforce is very healthy, um, not just physically, um, but also emotionally, mentally, um, and, and in multiple social social aspects, um, we start to see how more engaged these people are and see the value in their employer. And what you're doing for them, can you can you kind of talk, I guess, from your perspective as to how you create the opportunities for people to feel comfortable? So talk about those frontline workers, right? Your title as CEO, you're you're the owner of the company. There's a level of comfort or a level of trust that needs to be established for them to probably be open and honest with you. How do you create that environment, John? Uh, I say that I have fun doing it, and what I mean by that. <laughs> What I mean is you'll regularly see me out in the shop talking to a tech or on the lot talking to a valet or porter, and it drives my managers crazy. Mm. So that's my fun because the managers are thinking, what's he doing out there and what are they saying? But I absolutely, uh, I absolutely focus on my frontline champions. And the more I engage with them, the more pathway I give them to communicate with me. If I'm going to be an owner, a leader, or whatever, and think that people should just come to me because I'm a nice guy, it will never happen. It's it's a false narrative. Uh, I have to be the one to go and meet with them. And an example of trying to make them comfortable is you know, I don't have a tie. I don't wear ties anymore because we bought some dealerships. And as I introduced myself, one of the new employees said, I've heard of you. You're the guy that always wears a suit and tie. It was a technician that said that. Other than having to go to meetings, that was the last day. It was four years ago that I've had a tie around my neck because I don't want to be the guy that's known as the suit and tie. Still wear a sport coat every day, but baby steps, right? I ditched the tie. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Just so to make you more relatable. And and I think um, what I heard from you right there is just consistency. I think the consistency in how you're communicating helps establish that John's here to listen and you probably listen and then act. Um, because again, you're all about action and, and, and driving what you're listening to, to, to as, as increasing your awareness to what is going on and then making purposeful change. So I love that. Ty. You say, you say it a lot better than I do, by the way, but it's true. <laughs> he's, he's the glue, John. He's the glue man. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I'm the slip and slide over here, you know? Um, well, John, what, what's something that your employees don't know about you? Well, if I tell you, they may know about it, then I don't know. (laughs) And I tell them, I've told them a lot, but one of the things they probably would be shocked to find out um, is that I I have a GED education. Um, Through the circumstances of life, uh, I was forced to make a choice to go to high school or have a roof over my head. And so um, upon being invited to leave high school because of attendance, uh, I went back and got a GED. And by then, 
college wasn't in the cards for me because I couldn't afford it. It was Raymond noodles, tomato soup, and a Tupperware bowl. That's literally my life. So um, what I've learned has really been from boots on the ground and, and learning from other people. And yet a lot of employees, because I hear it, they just assume that my family was in the car business, or maybe I went to dealer school or something like that. And uh, I've never hidden my history, but I've never used it as an excuse either by over-talking about it. So I think that would surprise a lot of employees. Awesome. Well, what a strong example that, that it, you know, it really doesn't matter, you know, um, and, and, and do, would you have any advice for people who didn't necessarily graduate from college um, to, to not let it hold them back, right? Like you said, you mentioned that you learn from a lot of people, you know, if you're learning from people with experience, I think that's just as good as a, any four-year degree in my book. Um, what, what, what advice would you give to those people who may be afraid to advance in their career? I would just say to never discount the value of your, your life experience and what that gives to your employer uh, or as an employer. I have three children. They've all graduated from four-year schools. They're all very smart. I'm biased, of course. But coming out of good schools, um, they still didn't have the life experience that they got when they stood on a showroom floor and dealt with, you know, a child or a customer that had bad credit because of a job loss or things like that. And so life experience, in my opinion, is as valuable, if not more valuable than educational experience. It truly Love is. That. We've graduated some brilliant idiots. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, awesome. I, I couldn't, I could not agree with you more. And that's why I get so frustrated with employers today because they don't have, I guess, that awareness, um, uh, John, where, where it's, 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 it's not about a college degree. And if we actually looked at things like how, how does that actually predict future success within a role, within a company, within future potential even? And, and for you, because you've experienced it yourself, and, and I, right, I was taking SATs. I, my SAT scores weren't that great, but here it was, was a barrier of entry into a college and a piece of paper, a test to tell me if I was a fit for college or not. It made me insane, those SATs, because I just, I couldn't fathom that this one thing was the thing that was telling them, was Kevin a good fit for college or not a good fit for college? And here we are doing the same thing with resumes today, John. And, and resumes are kind of like a dying tool because they're highly ineffective and they don't really tell the whole story because now we're starting to learn people can actually lie on their resumes and we don't have the time to check these references anymore. How, how did you get yourself comfortable to say, hey, you know what, I can teach skills, I can teach someone how to, to sell a car, right, and to understand financing and how to walk people through those decisions. How, when did you learn that you could teach people these skills and teach them how to fish, and in turn, it was going to bring you a greater reward as a business owner, or even just as a person? I think my skill, and what I do is I don't teach, I show. So we always talk about lead from the front. Um, there's a saying that I heard a long time ago, and this is no insult to educators, but teachers teach and doers do. And so the lead from the front mentality, showing somebody how to sell a car is very different than teaching them how to sell a car. And you know, being out there with your people when the cars are covered in a foot of snow and here, here in Rochester, New York, the first people on the lot with snow brooms better be leaders. 
Wow. Great example. And then they show everybody else the importance of doing that. Now, I could not show somebody how to rebuild an engine. It would never run again, I promise you. <laughs> but I can show them I can show them an example of how to pull the car in and how to set it on the rack. And everything in our business, I can show a little bit of, which may give somebody the inspiration and the confidence to learn the rest of it through teachings or textbooks or videos or what have you. And I can tell that that brings you a lot of, a lot of satisfaction uh, as to you teaching them. And, and then I think just giving individuals with, without a, even high school diploma, potentially um, opportunities out of that environment, if they weren't given the tools and the skills necessary to help pull themselves out. And here you are teaching them life skills, you know, with a $15 an hour minimum, plus probably health and wellness benefits and all that other stuff. You're really creating an environment or a culture where they can come and create a life of their own. And, and I think that's a really powerful gravitational force as to why Bob Johnson um, has been so successful since, since you taking over there. I love that. Um, yeah, one of the you. things from your book I wanted to ask um, to and Ty, I'm sorry, I'm asking all the questions right now. Uh, one question I wanted to quickly ask, because I think it will lead to a great conversation, is the work-life balance blend. Um, you didn't have the upbringing that um, uh, we would say uh, people that would call dub normal. What did you learn from that as to how today you can find more balance between work and, and being a father of, of your daughters and now being a grandfather? I, I'm a new father, so I'm still trying and fighting hard because I am a workaholic to find that balance. Um, and I wanted to pick your brain on that. The whole work-life balance thing, I think, is somewhat of a false narrative because most people take it as work-life balance today, meaning I, I work as much as I should so that I'm home as much as I can be. I was fortunate. I was a father at 19 years old and, um, you know, young father. And at that point I was selling cars, really working 12, 14 hour days. But the way that we balanced life and work is my wife would keep my young son. She'd feed him dinner, put him to bed for a few hours and then wake him up at nine o'clock at night so he could play with dad for an hour or two when I got home. Now he wasn't in school, so it worked, right? That was work-life balance in that setting. Today, work-life balance, because I have no children at home, might be that I need to leave work at a certain time so that I give my wife the attention she deserves so that it's not just all office work. So work-life balance evolves. It's different for everybody. I used to say work-life balance means you work your ass off when you're young so you have a life when you're old. <laughs> right? <laughs> now I look at it a little differently because I am old. <laughs> um, I, I really think that, that it's, it's quality, not quantity. If I was working 50 hours a week selling cars and I spent six hours a week of good quality time with my kids, I felt I had a better work-life balance than my neighbor who got home at four o'clock every day and then sat around on his computer looking at who knows what for eight hours while the kids were in their rooms playing on their computers. Who had the better work-life balance? Might've been at home, but was his life really better? Mm -hmm. So it's quality, not the quantity. And I think an hour's walk with your children in the woods they, would, they may not love it at first, but they'll learn to love it, right? Yeah. The beating she'll continue till the morale improves, I guess. Um, but an hour's walk in the woods is something that has greater value than four hours all being in the same house, but in separate rooms doing separate things. Hmm. So hmm. it's not the quantity, it's, it's quality. Great Definitely point. the quality. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 I'm on board, Mr. Love. This, this, is, this is awesome conversation here. Uh, 
And, and with me, I, I feel exactly what you're speaking about. Um, so I used to, I guess, get in my head about work-life balance, but I feel, I feel as long as I'm present where I am, having a pretty good time, that, that's a, a balance for me. You know, it's always me trying to plan this mystery balance out. You know, that's really just where I am right now in my own two feet, you know, um, and in my experience, that is. Um, and, I, and I wanted to kind of pick your brain on, I, I, or just ask you what, you know, you, so you said that, uh, you know, you're the job creator, John Love. I just wanted to go back to this real quick. Sure. Um, what's your ultimate goal? How, how many, how many jobs would you want to create, you know, when your time's said and done, do you have a, uh, a specific number in mind or is it just, you know, I don't have a, a, a number for that, but here is a goal. And, and I, I hit barriers on the regular about this and it's, it's something that I haven't given up on, but the challenge is there. And I think a lot of business owners face this. I want to impact more lives at a lower socioeconomic level. I want to bring people in that. I, listen, I can go to a job fair, hire a guy with a four-year degree, put him in a chair, and he's going to give me a good day's work for a good day's pay, and, and that's all well and good. But if I can find the John Loves, if I can find the kids that, that are really you know, in a rough life and capture them as they're coming out of high school, and if college matters, then let's give them a pathway for that. And if, if they need to work, because trust me, as a teenager, I would have loved college, right? Overwork, I take college all the time, spring break, you know, whatever. But I had to go to work. And what I want to do and what I'd like to do, and I'm failing at it uh, more than I'm succeeding, is engaging with these young people that are in, in urban environments and rough environments and introduce them to our industry. Because it was amazing for me. And I've seen it be amazing for a lot of people. I'm not a one-off. But the barriers to break through, whether it be with the school systems or city governments or things like that, to try to connect, if your desire and your ambition doesn't fit their uh, narrative of what their administration should look like, you tend to hit these walls. And I think that's where business leaders get very frustrated. We all want to do better. We want to create more jobs and more jobs for people that, that need them and deserve them and are willing to aspire to them. But we have to break through these barriers. And at the same time, remember that we're villainized by a lot of the same people as being the ones that don't do enough. And it's a challenge to get through that. And so I don't have a number goal. I'm rambling a bit here, but I really just have a desire to connect more with people that, that we can bring in at these entry levels and show them that, you know, this isn't a career of entry level work. This is a pathway to being as great as you want to be and as we can help you be. I would just like to hit a timeout right there and just say, <laughs> I think that is business today. I think yep. that is that is where we're getting back to and exploring new talent pools that we totally discounted and discredited for so many years because we had the luxury to do so. Now yep. that supply and demand is so flipped over on its head, people that aren't of the same mindset as you, John, are really trying to figure out what the heck is going on, what they can do, where they can regain that power position, searching for something that really doesn't exist and maybe ch potentially chasing a ghost at this point, right? And in, in the future of work, that, that may no longer be the case. Um, I wanted to go to something when you said survival of my success, right? You, you went from having nothing to having something. I think this is what drives you in business, but that I think you touched on as well as comes with its own devils, right? Uh, you have opportunities to now afford maybe uh, an, an addiction of some sort, right? Whether it's gambling, whether it's alcohol, whether it's drug abuse, right? And here you are, we're talking about mental health and burnout and burnout is why people sometimes turn to these things. 
But one of the things that you said as we age, right? Um, I think that time equation that Tyler brought up earlier becomes even more transparent because I've seen it with my own grandfather. He has changed his perspective on life the closer that you come to death, as much as that sounds. And here we are, we've had a very traumatic experience during the pandemic and with the belief that time is of the essence. How do you change or continuously change this perspective, John, to stay abreast of what is actually happening in the world today? Listen, if we can stay abreast of what's happening in the world today, you got to like update your news every three minutes. <laughs> the world has lost its mind. Uh, however, however, you know, we really just try to live in our moment. We know that our future is somewhat predetermined for us by, by a higher power, if we believe that. Um, we try to live in the moment and, and hope that tomorrow is better than today for everybody. Uh, picking up the scrap of paper in the parking lot didn't change your day, didn't hurt it, but it might be better because it's just if we all did that, the world's a better place. Um, there's a song I listen to almost every day in the car. and I mean, I crank it like I'm 16. And uh, it literally, it, it's a daily thing for me. It's become a habit. And it comes as a result of losing a very good friend who was in the prime of his life. But it's if today was your last day by Nickelback. And I turn that thing up and it, it just drives home that if today was your last day, you know, what are you going to do with it? The day is a gift. It's not a right. And what are you going to do with it? And that for me is how I think most people should believe. If this was your room around the block, it lasted 24 hours and poof, you were gone. What would you leave behind and what impact would you make on that day? And so when it comes to work-life balance, when it comes to quality of life, it's really, for some people, it might be sitting on a beach in the Mayan Riviera. For somebody else, it might be going on planting a tree. There's a big difference between those people. But your best life, your best today, done right, can lead a better life, leave a better life for somebody tomorrow. Yeah. That's and just understanding that we all have different definitions of success yeah. and happiness. And I think Absolutely. I too lost a friend at 27. And, and I think that uh, fundamentally changed my perspective for, for my life um, on how short life truly was. And maybe that's why I hold the door for people still, you know, even sure. if they're 10 steps behind me, you know, it doesn't, right. these small things that we think they're are taking time away from other things back to your quality versus quantity. Um, are you present? And are you aware and are you in the moment is, is probably really where most people are, are tr still trying to, to, to figure out um, where they are today. And I think that you're starting to see more people change jobs because they feel like they can control something, but um, they're not really even sure what they want yet because they haven't done the hard work in figuring out who they were. Um, Tyler, any last questions as we kind of draw, draw to the end here? This has been awesome, John. I just want to say this has been a phenomenal interview. Man, this it's 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 just this is an instrument to the rest of my day, guys. Uh, to be honest, you know, it's I'm gonna carry this with me the rest of uh, today because you know, like, like we mentioned, that's all we have. And as corny as people may think that it is, I don't really care. You know, um, I'm very aware um, of what we have right now. And and, and meeting guy like you, John Love, it just uh, like I said, just cranks my battery up even more. You know, um, so that's what I'm gonna take with me the rest of the day. I did want to ask you, John. Um, just as an example of, of you, you mentioned you were trying to engage with, with the community or more. Um, can you give us some, just a few specifics on how to do that? Like a gentleman, your stature, you know, what, besides like writing a book, of course, about, you know, where you've been, um, what, what are some other avenues that, that, a, that a president or a CEO could take um, 
to engage with that, that, that population you're speaking of? So the traditional way that you might think of is to go to city hall and have a meeting with the mayor. I've done that, been there, done that. <laughs> go to the school district and meet with the superintendent, been there, done that. Uh, it doesn't really get you where you wanna be, especially um, when I'm a, a middle-aged, 53, I'll still call middle-aged, white male from the suburbs with a relative level of a success, I'm immediately judged as not really being able to connect with the people I'm wanting to connect to. Mm. And that's just the reality of, of this. The lights mm. just went out of my office. I'm not sure what happened. That was good. <laughs> um, I'll try to wave. Oh, there they go. They're there back. Go. Sorry. So what I've started to do is go to your frontline people. If, if you're a business owner, go to that lowest paid employee you have. Talk to them about their friends, their family, their neighbors. The thing I learned about growing up is poor all lives with poor, rich lives with rich. So, you know, go to those people in entry-level jobs. Chances are they know people that also are working entry-level jobs. Talk to them about your recruitment program and your training programs and what brought them to the company and who do they know that they might be able to bring along and introduce you to and really work there. We have to, as leaders, stop parking in the best parking spaces and only going to lunch at the fanciest restaurants. Eat a sandwich on the bumper of a car with a guy out back and you'll learn a lot more and that's where you get better employees versus headhunters and other ways that are going to bring you maybe the cream of the crop based on paper, but maybe not based on their actual contribution. Love it. Awesome, John. Well, thank you for that. And it's been, it's been a pleasure meeting you this afternoon, morning, whatever it is over there and then in the rock. <laughs> yeah. Good talking to you. Thank you. I'm just going to kind of say in closing here, John, and I guess my final question is, is, is really touching on that is um, it's, it's one thing to, to have these relationships in business um, at the CEO level. Right. And, and I, I think I heard you today is that you're making the best decisions on who you choose to work with based off the interests of your employees. And, yes. And I think Amen. Keeping, keeping, keeping that in mind and making sure that you're providing for them and those 1400 different rent payments that you have or mortgages that you mentioned and car payments. Um, I think you're going to continue to, if you make them better people um, and which you are every day at your organization and teaching these, these critical life skills, um, both in business, but also personally, that your impact is far greater than 1400 employees and you're, they're going to go home with their families and teach them the same skills therefore increasing your impact on the greater community here in Rochester. Um, maybe it's not always quantifiable, but I, I think that the, obviously those types of things are definitely recognized by, by, by Tyler and I, and I just wanna say thank you for all the work that you are doing. I know, you, I know you're doing a lot of work and also the, the policing in Rochester and, and, and really getting to the, to, the, to the challenges that we're facing here as a community. And I just want to say how much of a breath of fresh air that is um, and how much I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation today because I know there's action behind the words that you're saying. So I appreciate you um, and all the great work that you're doing and, and the real difference that you're making in our community because I, I consider us lucky to have a leader like you here. Well, thanks, Kevin. And thanks, Tyler. I don't know that I deserve any of that, but I take it and I appreciate it. And uh, you know, we're dysfunctional. We're like the United States. We're dysfunctional. But uh, every day there's still more people trying to get in than trying to get out. So yeah, I love that. just try to yeah. do our best and, and really try to make a difference how we can. So I love it. That's the goal. And you're not and a victim. If we do that, we're Jan. successful. That's why you're not a victim. So you don't make excuses. You go figure out the, the, the real problems, the, the challenges that you're facing and the, the solution. So thank you so much for keeping an open mind. And thank you again for this book. 
John's book will be come out. It is called You Failed Me by John Love. You can't see the image right now because I'm on blurred <laughs> mode. But, but John's book is coming out. I think he's got a copy right next to him, John, if you want to hold it up for everybody. It is. When, when can everybody expect this book to be out? Uh, so the, the pre-order uh, is coming up this week, actually. And it will be actually at Liftbridge Books and then available on Amazon in about 30 days. Call it destiny, John, but this but, might be why we're interviewing this week. That seems a little scary on how it's all lining up. You That's picked amazing. the dates, not me, but thank you very much. I, I know. It. I didn't pick it that way either. Destiny calls. <laughs> Thanks, gentlemen. Thanks so much. I'm gonna